Okay, so I'm Chris Cash, and for this episode of the China Research Group Talks on China podcast, we're extremely fortunate to be joined by Sabine Mokri. Sabine is a PhD candidate at Leiden University and visiting researcher at the German Institute of Global Area Studies in Hamburg, having previously been a research associate at the European China-focused think tank Merix. Her research focuses on how domestic factors shape China's foreign policy, and she recently published an engrossing paper on the differences between Chinese foreign policy statements and their English translations, which we are going to discuss today. Sabine, welcome to the Talks on China podcast. I'd first love to know how did you develop an interest in this idea of frame analysis, and maybe you could help sort of define this for listeners first, and also sort of China's wider foreign policy messaging. Yeah, thanks. It's great to be here on this podcast. And so, my main interest is that I want to find out under what conditions Chinese societal actors can influence China's foreign policy. And for that, I first needed to kind of figure out changes in China's foreign policy. And of course, everybody who is interested in China knows that a lot of changes have been going on in the past five or ten years. But for my research, I really needed like a detailed assessment of what exactly those changes are. And so, one way of mapping that is to look at. Chinese foreign policy rhetoric, or how I see it as how China's national interest is being constructed over time, and this interest brought me to the foreign policy statements that I analyzed for this paper, and I quickly learned that for most documents. There are English translations, but since my research is kind of between domestic factors and international implications of China's foreign policy, I、uh, quickly saw that I needed to take into account both those versions: the Chinese version, original Chinese version, and the translated English versions. And after comparing those documents, I thought that the findings might be interesting for other researchers as well. And so this is why I yeah published this this paper as kind of a spinoff of my dissertation research.、And、yeah, this is、uh, yeah how I got there. Brilliant. That's a great sort of general overview. And let's move on to the the, the finer detail.、Uh, and I hope listeners might sort of forgive us for getting a bit nerdy and, and granular in this part. But but what differences did you find in these foreign policy statements that that, that you、um, that you looked at? Maybe depending on sort of intended audience, and you came up with this sort of. Great taxonomy、uh, of the differences in your paper, and could you maybe go into a little bit more depth and, and explain this? Yeah, so it's definitely going to get a bit detailed here, and I would also、uh, point readers of the、uh, paper where I have a lot of、uh, examples and also graphs to make it a bit more graspable. So what I did first is kind of a side by side comparison of the official English translation, the Chinese version, and how I would translate the Chinese version. And I did this for almost a hundred foreign policy statements that were published between、uh, 2013 and 2019, and I distinguished three types of differences. The first one would be minor differences, so that's just a semantic difference、uh, where I thought, oh, I would translate that slightly differently, but essentially it's no,、uh, it's basically it's no big deal. It's no different、uh, difference in meaning. And then there are differences in degree. And here,、uh, I would say that this basically conveys、uh, the same meaning, but the emphasis is a bit different. 
And then uh, the third type is uh, substantive differences. And here uh, I really found instances where there was a significant difference in meaning. And then what I did was I checked how frequently those differences were, how prevalent the different types were, and also uh, to what extent there were patterns based on different kinds of documents and also differences uh, over time. And yeah, so I would say that uh, there are three main things uh, to take away here. And the first one is that all the more than 100 or or close to 100 uh, statements uh, I looked at, more than half of them contained differences between the Chinese original and the official English translation. And a majority of these differences are uh, substantive differences and differences in degree. So uh, this kind of cut me uh, going forward because I thought that this is really something uh, we should be aware of. And if like most of those differences would be minor differences, I would be okay, that's just, you know, different translators have different opinions. That's just uh, not a big deal. But I think it is in fact a big deal because there are so many substantive differences and differences in degree. And then I also found interesting patterns over time. So for example, the minor differences are getting less prominent over time, but the other types of differences overall seem to be becoming uh, more frequent. And then the third major finding I have is that the majority of the substantive differences and the differences in degree do indeed alter the intentions that the Chinese government is signaling. So I think that's maybe something we can go into detail um, a bit later, but I thought that that was really interesting and also why it's so important to pay close attention to uh, those differences. Yeah, I'm very sort of keen to to press on this idea of intent. Uh, And just to clarify for listeners, um, I guess you did you found that these substantive and degree differences were intentional from the the Chinese side then rather than just sort of the meaning that the semantic meaning, if you like, being altered by direct translations that you would do through sort of Google Translate or, or Baidu. Is that is that sort of right? I think we need more information on how those translations come about. I think that uh, as everything in the Chinese system, uh, also those translations are political. So um, the people who are doing those translations are carefully screened for. There's also a few interesting uh, quotes on that in the paper. Yeah, it might be uh, it, it might be intentional, but I think we also need to first of all find out where the differences are and what could explain them, and then maybe get more insights onto into how those translations come about. But uh, yeah, I think that's important here. Yeah, it's interesting that, that you mentioned that that sort of idea of, of Chinese officials sort, sort of being trained in this differentiated messaging. It's again, something you touch upon in, in the paper. Um, I think you say that in the Chinese context, translations are sort of inherently political, which is maybe something that we wouldn't necessarily think about with, with foreign policy statements here as, as much. And yeah, I, th- I think one of the, the most interesting areas of, of differences that you highlight um, within the paper are these differences between strategic level statements as, as you define them and, and policy planning level statements. C- can you maybe explain how you disaggregate these two forms of, of sort of policy statement and where and why I guess you, you, you find these differences exist? 
Yeah, so I distinguish between strategic level statements and policy uh, making statements. And the strategic level basically outlines long-term strategic planning. So uh, in concrete terms, reports to party congress, for example, are the most uh, the most important document in the Chinese system. And those are, while well, they are uh, issued by the or presented by the general secretary of the CCP, they reflect the broader consensus. And this is really what outlines the long-term plans. And then on the policy making level for um, foreign policy, I have policy documents on specific issues that the Chinese government uh, releases or just international speeches uh, by the foreign minister and other and other actors. The distinction pays tribute to the fact that there are those different levels in the Chinese system. And I think that uh, or I thought that or that it might explain why there are differences. And I don't have very concrete explanations yet, but I think that one possible explanation could be that everything that comes from the uh, strategic level, there is even more scrutiny uh, because this is attributed to the general secretary. So uh, maybe there is more, there's a closer scrutiny process for translations as well. Again, I don't know how exactly those translations uh, work, but I think that it's important to see where the differences are. Uh, yeah, and just to sort of clarify on that, so, so you find more differences in the strategic level statements or the, the or the sort of policy planning level statements. So the most interesting thing here is that the substantive differences feature far more prominently on the strategic level, and on the policy planning level, there um, I found a lot more minor differences. And I think that could be that the transitions on the policy planning level are just not as important or not as scrutinized. So those might be more by accident, or they might just not be too much there. But I think that the more authoritative a document is, the more scrutiny goes into that. And this makes it even more interesting or more noteworthy that there are those substantive differences, because I think that they are there and they do signal differences in intentions. Um, that's fascinating too, because I, I guess a lot of what the sort of wider um, audience in this part of the world would engage with are these um, strategic level statements that are, have had these sort of substantive differences to their Chinese originals, if if you like. So uh, that's definitely an important thing for sort of anyone working on Chinese foreign policy to to know. I feel, um, and also previously you mentioned these ideas of, of differences over over time and and change in differences in translations um, over a sort of a period of time. And I guess I'm thinking in in sort of real life terms, if you like, of the evolution of um, ideas like Chinese wolf warrior style diplomacy and whether that maybe brought the English and Chinese versions sort of closer together, both sort of filled with, with stronger action verbs, if you like. And I guess maybe my second question is that, uh, is about the sort of the next stage of this. And, and this might beyond, be beyond the sort of scope of your research, but have you seen evidence of these sort of changes over time extend beyond foreign policy statements. I don't know if you've looked at um, and any sort of other angles. Yeah, so I only looked at foreign policy statements, but I know that in the literature, other researchers um, have found differences between uh, the Chinese and English versions uh, of the government work report. So this is a document that is issued every year and is also something that is um, heavily analyzed by observers uh, inside China, but also outside. And there are those versions, and, and here there are uh, really interesting differences. Another um, example would be uh, the uh, annual press conference 
sciences that Premier does. So here there are also yeah, researchers who try to piece out differences. And uh, so I would say, uh, yes, it definitely also extends to other policy fields as well. Um, and it's often, I think, uh, here linguists or people really working in translation studies are actually doing quite a bit of work uh, there. And I think that people who are more interested in political side of things uh, should definitely pay attention to their work and also see what they're finding. Uh, that leads me very, very nicely onto the, the the next question. What problems do you think arise from um, either sort of policymakers or academics or foreign policy analysts relying on these translated statements issued by the the Chinese government um, when trying to sort of discern their um, intentions and objectives? Yeah, I think there is uh, definitely the danger of misjudging China's intentions. And I found that Chinese versions tend to signal more uh, ambitions that are inconsistent uh, with existing norms and rules. And when we look to the English, uh, official English translation, those ambitions tend to be toned down a bit. I've got an example from the 19th Party Congress report. And here there's a section on how the Chinese government intends to accelerate the transformation of the global governance system. And in the official English translation, the Chinese government is only described as having encouraged the evolution of the global governance system. And I do think that there is a difference between evolution, which sounds kind of a natural process, and then in the original Chinese version, the transformation of the global governance system. So I think that that's an example for where um, the, the Chinese version is a bit more ambitious, and that's something we need to pay close attention to and to uh, think about what those differences could mean. Yeah, I definitely think sort of on this end of things, there's um, there's not enough thinking about why these differences exist, right? People aren't thinking, you know, why has it been toned down in English? They often just sort of engage with the the English output, which sort of, you know, makes sense in, in this policymaking world where people sort of had A, limited China understanding and, and B, limited time. So I guess my sort of final question to, to round things off, Sabine, is how, how can an academics, analysts, policymakers sort of identify and work through these discrepancies in language, especially for those who don't sort of have quite uh, as well a trained eye or is, is not as sort of attuned to the world of uh, Zhao Li Jens and Wang Wenbin's as, as someone like you. Um, is regular translation software going to cut it or, or do you think we sort of have to look beyond that? So I would first say that all those three groups that you mentioned need to be aware that there might be differences in the different versions that they are engaging with. So um, my analysis uh, kind of ends in 2019, and there are, of course, uh, new documents that have been coming out since then. So just the knowledge that there might be differences uh, is, I think, a very important first step. And uh, so I would say that uh, I'm all for efficiency and starting out with the official English translation is definitely okay. I did find plenty of documents where there were no differences. So I think that for, for a big chunk, 
it's it's uh, fine to look at that, but uh, whenever possible, we should also have a look at the Chinese version. And so I was also curious about the translation software question, and I came to the conclusion that we should indeed make use of automatic translations. I found that both Google Translate and DeepL were really helpful in spotting the differences. After I identified the differences like by hand or through my own uh, translations, I checked whether those two software uh, were able to spot the differences as well. And in the overwhelming majority, uh, they did do that. So there was, I think, one instance where um, Google Translate kind of failed me. So I think that uh, I would definitely recommend making good use uh, of these tools just because it also gives us a bit more time to reflect upon the potential implications of these differences. And I think that that is really where it's at. It's good to know that those differences are, but then you shouldn't stop there, but think about what does that really mean and what might be behind those differences. Yeah, I think um, maybe one day we'll be able to um, move to a world where people sort of um, look at this stuff in more detail and and don't just react to any sort of incendiary tweet from um, Chinese diplomats when when trying to work out what China's thinking on a foreign policy level. But but that's been a a fascinating discussion today, Sabine. Thank you very much again. Where can we direct people to sort of follow your work and, and what's next for you, I guess? Well, next for me is finishing my PhD. So that will happen by the end of the year, hopefully. And so I think Twitter would be the best uh, way to to follow my work. I'm at Mokri Sabina, and you should yeah be able to find me there. Okay, excellent. Well, um, yeah, best of luck with the, the, the PhD. And thank you very much for, for joining us on the Talks on China podcast today. Thanks for having me.